if you're just joining us, like if you haven't been coming for the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Strong and Courageous. And this is the seventh installment of this series. We've been going through uh, the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. And, um, and so we're going to close out our series today in part seven of Strong and Courageous. And then next week, we're going to launch a new series simply called One. One. And we're going to explore uh, a few things. But the first thing we're going to explore is what it means for us to be one family. Uh, and what it means for us to be one family church. So come out next week for that. Uh, but today I want to get started on part seven of Strong and Courageous. I don't know if some of you may remember this, but when we first started uh, as a church, we didn't have the office upstairs. We didn't have the family center next door, um, the second floor, the 4,000 square feet that we have that's like right there. We didn't have that. All we had was this theater space. And so our children's ministry was actually in the lobby right outside of those doors. Some of you will, re- will remember that. Um, and our children's space con- was constituted by these sort of portable dividers that we just rolled out into the lobby. And then we had these rubber mats on the floor. And then we had some toys and some Bibles and some, you know, uh, tambourines and stuff. And, and that was our children's ministry. And, and I, don't, I don't really know how many of you parents decided, like, hey, it's okay to go to this church where the kids will be on the floor in the lobby of the Tivoli Theater on the Del Mar Loop. But, but somehow you did, uh, by God's grace. So thank you. That was amazing. Um, but I remember when we got the second story for our family center, I was thrilled. I was overjoyed. You know, there was, like, a sense of relief. Like, our kids are going to be safe. There, there are locked doors up there, you know, and, like, it's going to be awesome. And so we got that second floor, and then we had some guys go in, and we were renovating it getting it all together and and I was so excited about it I couldn't wait to start working in my my real office because up to that point our my office had been like you know Meshuggah coffee shop across the street or Starbucks down the street or in my house or in my car a lot of times you know where it was silent Um, and that was my office so I was really excited to work in my new office and I remember the first week that we got the family center I was up there working in my office and it was a Saturday and I was just finalizing my sermon and looking over all of the slides and all the pictures and all the images and scriptures that we have on the screen. They were all on my laptop computer at that time. And, um, and so at, at the end of my study time, I was like, all right, well, praise God, shut my computer, walked out my door, went home. The next morning, Sunday morning, I come back to the family center. I walked down the hallway to my office and that was the very first moment that I realized I don't actually have a key to my office. Like, like, like I can't get in my office. We haven't, we haven't changed the locks yet, and we don't have keys to our offices, okay? So my laptop is in my office, and my laptop has my sermon notes. It's got every scripture slide. It's got every lyric that we're going to sing for the, the worship time. It's got every image that we're going to put up on the screen. Like, everything is on that laptop. And it's, you know, it's like 30 minutes before church is getting ready to start. And I don't have any of that stuff, right? So I'm thinking like, how do I get to my computer, right? But the thing that was preventing me from getting my, to my computer was a wall. There was a wall between me and what I needed in order to achieve the thing that God had called me to achieve. In fact, there's a window in my office. I could actually see my, my, my computer, like I could, I could put my face up to the window. It's right there, but there's a problem. The problem is the wall is keeping me from getting literally what I need to get in order to achieve what God has put in my life to achieve on that particular Sunday morning. Anybody ever run into a wall in your life? 
that prevents you from getting where you need to go, that's, that blocks you, that inhibits you from getting to where God is trying to get you to go, from pursuing some of the things that God wants you to pursue. Walls come in all shapes and sizes. You might have experienced walls in all different areas of your life. There are, there are institutional walls sometimes. You might be part of a, a system or an organization uh, where the system is actually designed uh, to prevent you from achieving whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. It's, an insta- it's, a, it's a systematic wall. It's, a, it's an institutional wall, and it's preventing you from moving forward. And you don't know how to get around it, but you're blocked from moving forward. It may be, for you, a circumstantial wall. Like maybe it's just, it's not system-wide, it's just the circumstances that you're in. It could be, your, it could be you know, uh, uh, one person in your life, your boss, or your, you know, your boss's boss, or somebody who's, who's literally preventing you from achieving what you believe God wants you to achieve. Or maybe it's a, a physical s- circumstance, right? The circumstance is that it, it's a, you have a, a sickness or an ailment in your body or something that prevents you from moving forward. Whatever it is, it's, a, it's just a circumstance. It's not a system, it's a circumstance. Other times it may be a spiritual wall. Like, like there's, there's an enemy of your soul that is seeking to impede you from moving forward and growing in your faith. We don't talk about that in the Western Christian church very much, but there's a, there's a, there's a reality that the, that the scripture calls the enemy of your soul who wants to block you and prohibit you and prevent you from moving forward in the areas of life that God is calling you to pursue. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If the old preacher joke is if you've never faced the devil, you might be facing the same direction, okay? So, you know... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. It was just courtesy. Thank you. Um, I'm going to work on that and we'll bring that back next week. So, uh, so it might be spiritual. It might be spiritual. Something is blocking you spiritually. The one that I hate the most is the self-imposed wall. You know what I'm talking about? This is the wall that you built. You constructed it and you can't get out of your own way to move forward in the thing that God wants you to move forward in. You know, you, you know what God wants you to do. You know what you need to be pursuing. You know that there's more potential out there. But for whatever reason, every time you turn around, you run into a wall. And it's not a physical wall. Nobody else is doing it to you. You keep doing it to yourself. It's a self-imposed wall. How do we break through the walls? Today, I want to preach for a few moments on the topic of running into walls. Because all of us in our life experience this over and over again, where we just run into walls. I know a lot of, I talk to a lot of millennials and Gen Zers, and a lot of times one of the biggest encumbrances and obstacles in their life is that they want to lead a life full of meaning and purpose, where they're actually pursuing a career that, that, that allows them to develop their strengths so that they can, they can, they can actually do things in life that have value and purpose and meaning, and they don't even... A lot of times don't even care how much money is involved or what the benefits are. They want to do something that is meaningful, that's powerful, that they can be proud of, right? But they keep running into walls. It's like every time I turn around, I keep getting stuck doing the same thing. And I'm not, this isn't where God wants me to go. And I'm stuck and I can't get through this wall. For some of you, it's the, you know, some of you that are single, there's a wall in your dating life. Like every time you just start to move forward a little bit, and you start to meet somebody and maybe something is kind of starting to grow and then all of a sudden, bang, there's a wall, right? It turns out, you know, he's married and lives in a different country and you didn't know it and 
all of a sudden you're like, oh, I just got catfished. You know what I mean? It's a wall. I don't know. Maybe not that extreme, but you know what I'm saying. But we all experience it sometimes, sometimes in marriages, right? There's a wall that grows up between the two people that are married. And you don't even know when it started. He said something, and that put a brick in the wall. And then she said something, and that put another one. And over time, this wall grew up between the two of you. And you can actually see each other through the wall. There's little chinks in the wall, or you can see over the wall. But you can't reach the other person. They're out of reach because there's a wall. Some of you with teenagers, you know, you know there's a wall. You want so badly to communicate with them. You want so badly to be able to hear what's going on in their heart and their mind and their soul. And you want to touch them and you want to hear, you want them, you want to understand them. You want to be understood by them, but there's a wall and you don't know how to break through the wall. So today I'm going to spend some time in our last installment of Strong and Courageous, looking at how do we break down the walls that we find in our life. Because what we're going to find in this passage is that the Israelites had gone through this epic journey over the last 45 years where God had delivered them out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt and God had promised them that they were going to go into this land flowing with milk and honey and he had shown them how to do it and he gave them manna from heaven and he gave them fire by night and a cloud by day and he guided them but they couldn't get into the promised land they were they were caught up in fear but finally Joshua started leading them and God had said be strong and courageous Joshua and last week, if you were here, you know, there was that moment where they're at the, at the edge of the, of the Jordan River. And God said, I want you to get your feet wet. And they did it. And so finally, Joshua is like, I've been strong and courageous. I got my, we- my feet wet. I crossed over the river. And the first thing that I discover in the promised land is not like a Persian carpet with tea and hummus and pita and a feast, right? And a luxury hotel on the beach. The first thing I encounter when I bring your people into this land is a wall. A wall. I'm being faced with this fortified city called Jericho. And it's a wall. And I don't, I, this is my welcome to the promised land. I just got here and wham, I run straight into a wall. So how do we overcome these walls? I want to read you this passage. And we're going to go straight through it. I'm going to read you the whole thing. So stay with me. Don't nod off. This is going to get real. This is going to get exciting. This is applicable to your life. Stay with me as I read this whole passage. And then we're going to go back through it. And we're going to chop it up. And we're going to apply it to our life. So watch this. It says this. uh, Verse 1, chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. So you got to notice this. Right out of the gate, Jericho is a walled fortress. Okay? It's secure. It's, 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 It's tightened up. It's locked down. Nobody went in, nobody came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city, Joshua. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests, Joshua. I want you to have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city, the wall will collapse and the army will go up. Everybody straight in. So Joshua had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord 
The seven priests carried the seven, carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this, it says, for six days. All right, so I want you to get the picture, right? Children of Israel, 45 years, going at it. Joshua is one of the only ones who came out of, the, out, of, out of Egypt. God has been moving them and nudging them and urging them and drawing them. They've done everything they're supposed to do at this point, And then wham, they run into a wall. And the walls of Jericho were not like a flimsy little wall. It wasn't like a little fence that you could push over. It was, these walls were six feet thick. Archaeologists have excavated these walls. They were about 15 feet tall. There were towers. There were 28-foot towers. I mean, this was, a, this was a massive fortress. And it wasn't like a huge city, but the walls were fortified. You could not break through these walls. You've got this whole tribe of Israelites trying to get into this wall, and they just they can't do it. And what I love is at the very beginning of the passage, we see this. We see this moment between Joshua and God that you might have missed it when we first read it. I'm going to pull it back out. It is so strange and so insightful at the same time. Let me read it. Verse 1 says this. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred. In other words, this place was fortified. Nobody was coming in and nobody was going out. Next verse. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Do you see a contradiction here? Right? Like if I'm Joshua and I'm looking at a 15-foot wall that's six feet deep and God says, Brent, see? I've delivered Jericho into your hands. I'm going, wait a minute. No, I don't see actually. I don't see that you've delivered Jericho into my... What I see is a wall. So there's a, there's a weird kind of paradox between what God is saying and what Joshua is seeing. Right? Because God wants Joshua and the Israelites and you and me to learn something. He wants us to learn this principle. The principle is faith before fact. Faith before fact. In other words, he's saying, look, when I promise you something, when I say that something is done, even though you don't see it, I want you to have faith that it's done. I want you to believe before you see. The scripture even says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what it says. We walk by, if we're contingent, and if our faith is contingent solely upon what we can see, that's not faith. The scripture says, how do you hope for things that have already occurred? That's not hope. That's not faith. He said, I want you to have faith before the fact. I want you to believe before you even see it. Some of you, some of you law students out there, you know there's a difference between ownership and possession. They're, those are two different things. And those of you who are not law students, let me break it down for you. Have you ever been to an ATM and tried to get your money out of that ATM? You know what I'm talking about? You own that money. That's your money. You just don't possess it. I was at an ATM not long ago, and I needed some money out of my ATM. for We were, we were adopting a dog, and we needed to have... There was, a, there was an adoption fee, which I didn't anticipate. Um, but um, so... And I don't, have a, I, don't, I don't carry cash hardly very much. I don't have checks. Anyway, and we're in the Ozarks. So it's like, you know... So we go up to an ATM of this bank down in the Ozarks and I try to draw out some money. I tried to draw out like $350 and it would only give me like $50. And I'm like, but I own the money in that account. There's more than $50 in that account. I'm not rich, but I got more than 50 bucks. Okay. And so the problem was I, I owned it. I just didn't possess it. God's saying, look, I, I just need you to see the distinction here. 
Just because you don't possess it doesn't mean you don't own it. Just because you don't have it in hand, just because you haven't seen the facts, doesn't mean that it's not yours. Because when God says it's yours, it's yours. It was always yours. He doesn't, he doesn't operate in time. He's not linear. He operates beyond time. So when he says it's done, that means it's done from his perspective, whether you've seen it or not. So he wants you to have some faith before you see the facts. I see this with my staff. I love this with our church staff. We have the most amazing church staff on the planet of any church staff anywhere in the world, period. Don't even try to talk me out of it, okay? And what I love is we get together on Tuesdays and we do like a, a church staff meeting. And we talk about everything that went great, you know, the, the, the previous week, all of our wins and all of our challenges, you know, all of our roses and all of our thorns. We talk about all of it, right? And, um, we, and, then, and then we start planning for the following week. And then we also plan out for, you know, a few months in advance and that kind of thing. And one of the things that we do towards the end of the meeting is we assign tasks. Okay, I'll do this. Here's your action item. You'll do this. I'll do this. And what I love about our staff, what I love about our staff is that when we assign the task out if i assign a task out and one of our team members says it's done in my mind it's done it's done because i have so much faith that when they say they're going to do it they always do it and a lot of times they do it way better than i would have anticipated or a heck of a lot better than i would have done it myself so what i've learned is that even though i have not seen the final outcome it's off my punch list it's not in my mind anymore because it's done because i have faith in the person who said it's done right? We do this with people that we trust. God is saying, I want you to do that with me because I'm making promises to you about how I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm making promises about how all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I'm making all these promises to you, but you're still acting like there's a wall in front of you because that's what you see. And I'm telling you, the wall is already collapsed. You just haven't seen it yet. Some of you right now have walls in your life and the wall is so big that you can't see God's promises on the other side of the wall. And he's saying, I want you to have some faith even though you haven't seen the fact. Are you with me this morning, somebody? So Joshua says, all right, Lord, <laughs> you've taken me this far. You know, here's the other thing about Joshua. What, where's he gonna go, right? Like he's been following the Lord all this time. So when God says, I want you to believe that I'm giving you this city even before you can see that I'm giving you, He's finally like, okay, I'm just, whatever you say, I'm going with you. So here's what he does. It says this. It says, so, uh, so Joshua, uh, no, sorry. It says, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. So he said, all right, God, I'm going to do this thing you told me to do. I'm going to start having people walk around the city. So he had the ark uh, of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. That's day one. Day two. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and nothing happened. And so they returned to camp. Next verse says, they did this for six days. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Is that even though God had told Joshua what was going to happen, Joshua had not yet conveyed that information to the army. He had not told the soldiers that that's going to happen. So from the soldier's perspective, they're getting up. They're getting their sword on. They're getting their spear, straightening their helmet, getting their shield, walking around a city one time. Takes about an hour, hour, 15 minutes. And then Joshua goes, okay, guys, we're going to break. End of the day, right? Like at a certain point, you're going to start to go. If I was one of Joshua's soldiers, I would start like turning to the guys in my you know, my tent mates, my roommates, and I'd be like, guys, 
What the heck is going on around here? Like, we're, we're getting up, we're walking around a city, and then we're coming home. And, and they didn't know that it was going to end, like, at a certain point. They're, from their perspective, it's just like, this is just going on and on and on and on and on. They had no mile marker in their mind about where this thing was going, right? Sometimes God wants to teach us a principle when it comes to breaking down walls. And, and that principle is called persistence without progress, Okay? Persistence without progress. Everybody knows this principle. The first week you join a gym. Are you with me, somebody? The first week you join, first month you join a gym, you go, wait a minute, nothing's happening, right? In fact, <laughs> in fact, you get hungry, then you eat more. So it might be the reverse of what you wanted to happen. And you're like, well, not only is nothing happening, but I'm getting tired and I'm not, this isn't going the direction that I want to go, right? Mark said this morning, he said, my cardio is walking with Jesus. So, um, so what's happening is, <laughs> amen, brother. Uh, what, what's happening is God is saying to some of us, look, I need you to persist even when you don't see the progress. I need you to keep praying even though you haven't seen the breakthrough. I need you to have faith in me. I need you to keep serving. I need you to keep loving. I need you to keep being faithful and on, even when you don't see the progress. Because I'm actually doing something, you just can't see it. I'm doing something in you that you cannot see. All you're looking at is the wall, but I'm looking at other stuff. I'm looking in your heart. And I'm making some fortifications inside and strengthening some stuff inside of you that you can't see happening. But you got to keep persisting even when you don't see the progress. My, my eight-year-old, we have this like ninja line in my backyard. And it's got, it's attached to the fort on one end of the thing of the yard. And it's attached to a tree on the other end of the yard. And it's got all these like ninja things that you're supposed to hold on to and go across. And it's got like a little rope and it's got like this straight thing. And it's got these little handholds and all this stuff. And it's, it's a really awesome, it's a really awesome toy. And the boys are Jameson, my oldest. He's not in here so we can talk about him. He is able with his lean uh, muscular little frame to go right across that ninja line. So he is full ninja, graduated ninja extraordinaire. His younger brother, Lincoln, eight years old, is not quite on the ninja level as Jameson. So Lincoln will start on the ninja line, but he only gets about three handholds, and then it's too much for him, and he falls down. So the other day, we're in the backyard, and Lincoln is trying to get across this ninja line. I mean, he wants so badly to be able to do whatever his older brother does, and he's trying desperately to get across this ninja line, and he keeps getting to handhold number three, and then he keeps falling off at handhold number three. And the first few times, it's okay. He dusts himself off. He's okay. But about the fourth or fifth time, he starts to get pretty upset, starts to get a little upset. He really doesn't like this. And so he says to me, and I'm trying to encourage him, like, it's okay, man, just keep trying, you know. He says to me, and somebody told him this somewhere, he learned this somewhere. He says, Dad, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. <laughs> and I'm like, that's true in some circumstances, okay? In other circumstances, it's the exact opposite. In this circumstance, for instance, you have to keep doing the same thing if you want different results. You will not learn how to go across the ninja line any other way but by continuing to persist across the ninja line even when you don't see any progress. But eventually, you're going to see handhold number four will be in your grasp, son, and then handhold number five, and you will graduate to ninja land just like your older brother, right? Sometimes you have to persist even when you don't see the progress. Are you with me this morning? Um, 
There's a, there's a, a book called Love Does by a guy named Bob Goff. And Bob Goff is a brilliant guy and a brilliant writer. And um, he tells the story about when he wanted to go to law school as a young man. He felt like God was calling him to law school to go do good work, like to actually make a difference in the world as a lawyer. And I know some of you think that's an oxymoron, but you know, just suspend your disbelief for a moment. Um, Bob Goff said, I really think God wants me to do this. The only problem is he, he took the LSAT, the law school admissions test, and he bombed it, completely bombed the LSAT, totally bombed it applied to, you know, a dozen schools around the country. He said in his book, he said, I felt like I was actually just um, making donations to these law schools with the application fee, you know, because there's no way any of them are going to accept me. And it turns out that he was absolutely right. None of them accepted him. Like he literally got into no law schools. A couple of the law schools, he said, actually returned his application and the check. Like, dude, you're going to need this money way more than we do. Like, just hang on to it, you know, uh, with that score. So anyway, he, he got into no law schools. So he finally, he said, after not getting into any law school, showed up at one of the lower tier law schools that he had applied to, like one that he had a very far outside chance of getting into. He showed up and went in to meet the dean. And, the, and he says to the dean, they let him meet the dean. And he said to the dean, dean, he said, you have the power to let me into this law school. All you need to do is tell me to go get my books and I will be a, a law student at this law school. Like, you know, like that was some great gift to the dean, right? So the dean is kind of a little bit confused and like, well, wait, we rejected you, right? Yeah, but, but all you got to do is tell me to get my books and I'll go get them. And the dean's like, well, you know, why don't you go get a job instead? And uh, so, but Bob Goff says he, you know, the dean was nice, but, you know, what is he going to do? Not let him into the school for sure. So, so Bob goes and sits on a bench outside of the dean's office. And he, and he basically said, I'm just going to, I'm going to persist. I believe God wants me to break down this wall. I'm just going to, I'm going to persist until we break down this wall. And he said, he sat there day one. And every time the Dean walked by the hall, he would say, Hey Dean, all you got to do is tell me to get my books. You know, and I'm in, I'm ready. Day one, the Dean is very, you know, like the Dean starts going the other way to the restroom. You know what I mean? Like the weird guy sitting on my bench. I'm going to go this way. Day two, day three, day four. Day five, Bob Goff shows up every morning at the law school, sitting outside of the dean's office. Day six, law school starts. So the real law students come, and they're all coming to law school with their books and everything, and he's sitting there like, which one of these kids doesn't belong, you know? And he's sitting on the bench going, all you got to do is tell me to get my books, right? Day seven, day eight, day nine, and now he's thinking, gosh, I'm falling behind in law school, and I haven't even started, you know? And... <laughs> He said, day 10, his faith started to crater. Like, I don't know, man. Am I crazy? You know, which probably the answer is yes. But, but am I just nuts? Like, is that? And he said, the dean comes walking over to him on day 10. And instead of like avoiding him and avoiding eye contact and doing that weird shuffle around the hall, he walks right up to him. And Bob is like looking at him like, uh-oh, what's, what's this about? And the dean says, hey, go get your books. And he lets him into the law school. Bob Goff is now a world-renowned writer and has done incredible work around the world as a lawyer, believe it or not. And, and what he says in the book is he says, sometimes God allows a door to close, not because he doesn't want you to get in, but because he wants to build some stuff in you while you're waiting to get in. Sometimes you need to break down the wall. Sometimes you need to sit outside of the wall and say, God, I'm sticking around until I get in, until you build in me what you need to build, because I believe you want me to go into that wall. And so God is saying to some of you today, hey, don't give up on the, don't give up on the, on the purpose that I have for you just because you haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. I want you to persist. 
even when you don't see the progress. So, so they're marching around the wall six days, day after day. Nothing's happening. And then it says this. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. They've been doing this six days. Now it's the seventh day. Except that on this day, they circled the city seven times. Seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army. Look what he says. Watch what he says. Look at this. Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, if you're one of Joshua's men, you see what just happened? See, this, Joshua is now doing to his men what God had done to him. He's saying, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the people are going, why would we shout? Because the Lord has not yet given us the city, right? But Joshua is now trying to teach the men what God taught him. And what Joshua is trying to teach them is praise before proof. Pray, give God praise for where he is taking you before you have evidence that you are there. Give God some glory before, you, before the end of the story. Give God praise before he has actually gotten you to the position that you know he wants to get you to. Because here's why. When we praise God, it elevates our perspective to allow us to see from God's view where he's taking us. That's the whole thing with the walls. The walls are not difficult for God to break down. The walls are not difficult. They're just difficult for us to see over. And sometimes God is saying, if you will praise me, I will show you that we are in partnership over this wall. I'm going to be able to break this wall down, but, it, but I need you to praise me so that you can see the, the world through my perspective. Because when you praise it, I don't know about you, but when there's a, I run into walls all the time. Every, every day of the week, I run into a wall. I'm always trying to push something forward. I'm always trying to advance something. And there's always something stopping me from going where I need to go. And what I do, my first instinct is not to go, okay, there's a wall. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. No. My first instinct is to go, okay, how am I going to get through this wall? And I start to think. Sometimes I start to worry. And I try to strategize. And I try to plan. And that's all good. Except the worry, that's not that, that's not that good. But the strategy, that's all good. I'm trying to make this thing happen. And a lot of times, in the midst of those moments, God says, hey, would you just praise me? Would you just worship me? Would, would you just stop? Would you just pull your head up out of the mundane for a moment and remember who I am? Because when you do that, then I can elevate your perspective. And I can show you how we're going to get through this wall. And so that's what the children of Israel did. The scripture says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everybody charged straight in and they took the city. You want a wall to fall down in your life? Give God some praise. Trust him beforehand. I needed to get my computer on that Sunday morning. I needed that computer because... And, and you know what? I believed I was going to get that computer. I, in fact, there was no way I was going to not get that computer. I was thinking about ways to scale the Tivoli building and take a rope down to my window and kick the window. I was like, we're going to get this computer, people. And I'm not saying it was divine intervention, but there did happen to be a hammer sitting right by my office door that the guys had been using for renovation. And it occurred to me as I was standing there looking at the hammer 
and then looking at the wall of my office that that wall was not quite as impenetrable as I had once thought it would would be I don't know if you know anything about drywall but it's not as strong as steel and so I took the hammer and some of you will remember this I just took one little swift hit on that drywall and it was like a hot knife through butter that that hammer just went straight through the wall and I just punched myself a preacher-sized hole in my office and I just walked straight through that wall and I went and got my computer and we came out and we had some church on that Sunday morning somebody you know what I'm saying listen these walls that are in your life they're not as powerful as you thought they were they're not as strong as you thought they were God wants to give you some strength to break down some walls in your life if you'll put your trust in him if you'll put your faith in him if you'll persist even when you don't see the progress if you'll give him some praise even before you see proof of the broken down wall he wants to break those walls down in your life because he's got a promise for you and he's got potential for you he wants you to step into it would you stand with me today worship team would you guys come up here as we close I want to tell you one last thing before we close out the service. And we're going to close quickly because we're, we're going to be out of time. I have a theory about why God did this whole thing the way he did it. I may be right, maybe wrong. I think I have a, an idea why God had to march around for six days and then march around a seventh day seven times. And other commentators have kind of reflected on this as well. But throughout the scripture, six represents the efforts of humanity, the efforts of mankind. So man was created on the sixth day. You're supposed to work six days, the scripture says. Um, an indentured servant would work for six years. Uh, you're supposed to plow the field for six years and then leave it fallow. So throughout the scripture, we see six represents our effort. And in the scripture, we see that seven always represents God's effort or God's completion or his perfection, right? On the seventh day, God rested. You know, there's seven seals and the seven stars and the seven candlesticks. You can look all through the scripture. A lot of sevens represents completion and perfection. I think God was saying to some of us, like, hey, you go ahead and do all of your effort. Go ahead and march around the wall. Do your thing. But if you want the wall to come down, invite me into it. Invite, because I can make it happen like, no, like, like that. I can make it happen. I just need you to invite me into your wall breaking down efforts because there is no wall that's too great for me there's no wall that I cannot crush there's no wall in your marriage with your kids in your career with your family in your spirit there's no wall that I cannot crush I just need you to invite me into it so as we close today I want to I want to invite you to invite God into your wall breaking down effort because God will crush your wall let me pray for you father we come before you with faith and hope expectation perseverance and patience and we ask you lord to break down the walls in our life help us to honor you help us to praise you god give us the patience and persistence to keep pursuing the purpose that you have for our life help us to not be afraid help us to not give up help us not be weary and well-doing because in the end, you're going to see us through. You're going to break down the walls and lead us into the promises that you have for us. I pray for every person here who's experiencing a wall in your life. Encourage them today 
to break through the walls into your promise. We pray to your honor, to your praise, to your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen, everybody. God bless you. Have an awesome week. And we will see you next Sunday. Bless you. Have a great day.